Here we go. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. That's more yeah, like it. And high for If I knew how to Mongolian throw sing, that would have been our intro for today. <laughs> but I don't know how to do that. Hello and welcome to the Untranslatable Podcast. We are here recording episode 134, and today we are on the road again in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and we are going to be talking about uh, how amazing the capital of Mongolia is and what I have been up to during my stay in Mongolia. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you, and I have to admit, Mongolia was definitely under the radar for me in terms of places to travel and visit. But oh man, do not sleep on this city. Ulaanbaatar is amazing and I'm looking forward to sharing some cool things about Mongolia with you. I'm sure Jared is dying of suspense to hear about what I've been up to. We usually talk quite a bit uh, you know, with iMessage or whatever and lately we have shut off communication to keep this podcast better for you. So these are the sacrifices we make in order to provide you with the best travel podcast content. So I'm looking forward to sharing some things with Jared, and I'm sure he's got some great questions for me today. So without further ado, my good buddy Jared, what's going on, Jared? Welcome back, buddy. The only thing I've seen about your Mongolia trip are the few pictures you've posted to our Instagram, Untranslatable Podcast, uh, and to your own personal Instagram, which are essentially the same pictures, just in a different order. Yep. But... Yep. Uh, <laughs> but uh, me too. Mongolia for me is also a city I've definitely, or Mongolia as a country, Ulaanbaatar is a city I've slept on. I will be honest with you, I know nothing about the city or country. I know it's, um, you know, very sort of remote and, uh, you know, tra transportation is difficult. That's about it. Um, but I'm interested to hear about it. I saw your pictures. I saw all the weird things you did and cool things it looks like you did. And I'm very excited. Also, please, first though, Spread a little love. Five star reviews on that. Spread a little love. Oh no. Spread oh, a little love. Uh -oh. Spread all the love. <laughs> spread a little love. Spread all the love. Spread a little oh love. My <laughs> yes. This is what, <laughs> what happens is when you have a glitch. Oh, that's great. <laughs> spread all the love. Wow. I don't know. I was telling Chad that I actually hit a button before. Maybe that's what the button makes my. Uh, spread a little love. Okay. We're good. <laughs> and follow us on. Um, Twitter as well, Untranslatable1, the number one. We have a, a website, untranslatablepodcast.com. We have a YouTube uh, channel. Subscribe to it. You can see us in video. It's always a surprise. Wonder, will Chad's signal be amazing today out of nowhere, or will it be terrible? You never know. And hopefully Jared didn't just jinx us. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's funny you say that because I was just about to say what it is right now. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep that to myself. I'm just happy to see you. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to hear about your trip to Mongolia. Let's get right into it. First of all, there are sort of two, in my mind, we were talking about this before we started recording, from what I heard about what was heard and saw, there were sort of two parts of this trip. There, there was like the actual reason why you were there, which was mm -hmm. the school part of it, 
And then there was the uh, extracurricular activities, the tourist attractions, sort of the exploration that you also did of, of Ulaanbaatar, and I assume the outs, outside regions. Um, first of all, explain what the point was of your trip regarding the school part of it. Absolutely. So... As I'm an English still a language, little bit fuzzy. <laughs> sure, no problem. So as an English language fellow, we uh, have basically two, two jobs here. Our number one job is uh, at our universities in China. But our number two is what we call secondary projects. And a secondary project is basically an extra project or extra thing you do outside of your university. So we, uh, we're not really required, but we have the opportunity to go to conferences and give speeches and talks and workshops. So me it's being highly big, recommended, you would say that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so for me, as our listeners should know by now, unless you're very new to the podcast, I'm a big music nerd and I love music. And so you I betcha. gave a few workshops on using songs and using music in the classroom. So I gave a talk at the Mongolia, uh, Mongolia University of Science and Technology, which they call MUST, and then the Mongolia National University. That's a good name. And, uh, <laughs> and there were two different conferences. Um, one of them is called ELTAM, which is the English Language Teaching Association of Mongolia. And ELTAM, this was their, I believe, their 13th year where they've had a conference. And so they, I'm pretty sure they hold it in the capital every year. Uh, I will say that... Um, what it seems to me in Mongolia is if you go anywhere, you go to the capital because that's where the most universities are. That's where the most job opportunities are. And I'll give you a quick fun fact, Jared. Uh, over half the population of Mongolia lives in Ulaanbaatar, in the capital city. Interesting. I mean, yeah. that kind of makes sense because it's, uh, from what I've at least read over the past couple of days, it's some, it does seem to be sort of a very... Uh, treacherous land to sort of build on or you know make a city off of and there's right. also uh, a lot of nomadic people there too so i guess that would make sense exactly um but yeah so i was there to give some uh workshops and uh, work with teachers uh mongolian english teachers and it was so much fun uh the teachers were great they uh, were very curious and uh, and what i learned which i wish would be my case here in china is mongolian students love music and love to sing Oh. So, so I guess I picked the right presentation to give at this uh, <laughs> at these two different conferences. So it was a lot of fun, and I can also we, got to watch. Yeah, can we post? So you posted some pictures to your um, personal Instagram. Mm -hmm. I loved those pictures so much of you, uh, uh, like the action shots. Uh huh. Can we post those to our Instagram? I love those. Of course. I love those. Sure. Please of look course. at these pictures of Chad. It looks like this needs to be in a brochure. These pictures of <laughs> these action shots of you, uh, like doing these uh, these seminars. I would call it. Right. And uh, people look like they're in it. You look like you're into it. You have the hand. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> call me the Tony Tony Robbins of uh, <laughs> English and music teaching. What can I say? Oh, my um, God. Yeah, it was great. And there were quite a few very important academic people there. Um, for any of our listeners out there who are language people, um, we had our keynote speaker was Diane Larson Freeman, who 
in in the field of TESOL, of teaching English to speakers of other languages. She is an academic giant. Mm. Uh, so you, wrote, you knew her before you I, Oh, came yeah. Here. I've read a bunch of her books. I uh, had to in grad school. She wrote basically the Bible of how to teach grammar. Uh, and I was mm. talking to her about the book, and she told us that it took her seven years to complete the book. So seven years of hard work for her to complete what is now, I would say, the book to go to if you want to learn how to teach grammar as an English, uh, as an English either as a foreign language or second language teacher. So it was great to meet her, and so I that talked was sort to her of an for honor a little to bit. Meet, to meet it, her, it was like meeting it was. Beyonce or something. Right, right. <laughs> and Beyonce I talked to her, Jared. <laughs> right, exactly. And I talked to her, and she has been to over seventy different countries. Oh, that's awesome. So that was that was really great. And she was such is, a nice woman too. So Is that sort of like a personally is that sort of like a now obviously she has a lot of great content for you, but is is that sort of a mm. role model for how you would like to see your career go? Oh, sure. I mean, well, I'll tell you what. There are very few people on her level um right. in, in our field. Like she is the I would say she is the upper echelon for sure, the top of the top. Um but yeah, I mean, I would love that, but if I were to get there, I would probably need to go back and do a PhD. Mm. Not so sure I'm going to do that. We'll see. Talk to me in five years, and maybe maybe <laughs> I'll have a different answer for you. But yeah, but the but the cool thing about the about both of these conferences and being able to work with these teachers in Mongolia, and I've I've found the same thing here in China as well, um, is that people are so appreciative of your efforts to help them out as as native speaker language teachers, and also. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're experts in our field. You know, I feel like if you have a master's, you should be an expert in whatever field yeah. you're in. You're allowed um, to say that without right. being cocky. Right, <laughs> right. exactly. So, so it was really great, Jared. I've got to say it was a lot of fun. And I, I will tell you, I was there for six days. Five out of the six days, we were working most of the day. But during the evening and the one day we had off, we were able to do a lot of fun cultural stuff. So we'll talk about that later. So uh, this episode. Regarding, so, so did you, um, I was going to ask you about that and I'm glad you brought it up. You taught for five of the six days you were there or worked, mm-hmm. whatever you call that, whatever you call what you're right. doing. Um, were you giving the same speech to different, um, to different groups or is this set up to be a seminar that you could do over days? So, so the L10, so basically you can look at it at two different conferences. So, so with different audiences. Uh, okay, okay. So the okay, first okay. conference was the, the first few days we got in. Uh, we got in on Friday. We registered for the conference on Friday. There was a keynote speech by uh, Diane Larson Freeman and another amazing speech uh, by uh, Dr. Cynthia Doss, who uh, I worked with w- for a couple different sessions, and she's amazing. She teaches... I believe at Nottingham University in Malaysia. And she was awesome. And she was teaching something uh, that I had never heard before, Jared, uh, never heard about. And it's called brain teaching. And basically these, and, and she used a lot of mind mapping, which is like you kind of create like a diagram. And the cool thing about mind mapping is it's very free form. So you can write it how, oops, sorry. You can write it however you want. <laughs> Chad's excited. I'm getting too excited. Exactly. So, you know, uh, every student's mind map will look different, but mind map is a way to make associations, I believe, with the right right side of your brain and the left side of your brain. And the whole point of like brain teaching is to engage all the different parts of the brain. So one side of the brain is used for like lists and numbers and stuff like that. Another side of the brain is used for like pictures and and stuff like that. So Right. So it's like... 
like artistic versus analytical side of your brain. Right. Right. And so you get both of those sides of the brain working. Mm. And there's a lot of research that shows that that really helps learn language. So it was yeah, great. I, and I, I bet you it's also mm. tough to, to bet to like have that good proper balance. Of I, I, I don't know the, the way she gave the presentation um, seems like if you use mind mapping and if you do a couple different strategies, it's not, it's not as difficult as you would think. Okay. Um, but you do have to go away from the traditional view of teaching, which is like lecture, write notes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but you love and we might, I mean, you love going away right. from that is what I mean. Exactly, exactly. And so I think in the future, I'm going to need to do my homework more. But I think in the future, we should do a uh, teacher's edition on that type of teaching because it okay. was really amazing um, to, to hear about it. And, uh, and I'm hoping to collaborate with her in the future as well. She wants... Uh, me to uh, do some research for her here in China. So I might see if I can do that. So oh, that would be really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So what do yeah. you mean? What, what does she mean by research? Like, what does that involve? So, so How do you another, make it scientific or whatever? So, <laughs> so basically, uh, I would just be doing some data collection. So I would, what I want to do is do a, do a, a unit on project-based learning, which is all about giving the students their own autonomy. And basically, you have them... So what I would do is have them create their own lesson plan. And instead of me, so the, the traditional way to do this, we have, a, we have a chapter in my teaching methodology course all about lesson planning. And the old-fashioned way to do this would be I just lecture them about how to write a lesson plan, right? Right. Project-based learning would be um, I have them do the research themselves and write the lesson plans themselves. And so there's a couple different oh. stages. But the cool thing about project-based learning is it allows the students to be more creative. Mm-hmm. It forces them to solve problems themselves. It also kind of uh, arms them with the different skills of collaborative, like collaborative learning. Uh, you have to be creative. You have to be able to communicate because project-based learning is usually in groups. And not only do you have to communicate with your group members, but then usually at the end of project-based learning, you do a showcase where you basically present or show what you've done and you explain it. And these are all important skills later in life. You know, being able to collaborate with others. I'm sure you have to do that very often at your job. You have to be able to, right. You have to be able to problem solve. I think that's Mm -hmm. important for any job or uh, just about any job. (laughs) Right. And you have to be a clear communicator, which is key. Yeah. Uh, It's really important. So, so we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. And depending on how it goes, we could even do an episode about that as well. But it, it was great. Anyway, Cindy, uh, Dr. Cynthia Doss was awesome to talk to. Both of them were great. And it was such an, enrich, an enriching conference. And that was just the conference side. The cultural side as well was so amazing. Uh, and I yeah. loved Ulaanbaatar. And I hope to make it back before my contract ends in uh, June. Okay. So that's how much I liked it. But yeah, we'll get to that later, and exactly, uh, that's a big cliffhanger because I'm, I'm, I'm very interested, and I, and I can't wait to hear about it. But for now, we can spread a little love. If you have any uh, shoutouts? I assume you do. Absolutely. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but the Trello is up. Oh, I never checked. The Trello is up, but great timing because I just switched that over. Okay, so I have, I have three shoutouts, uh, for today. Number one, this one just goes out to. Uh, well, no, sorry. This one goes out to researchers at Crowther Lab in Zurich uh, because they have shown that uh, 
if we do actually start uh, taking reforestation more seriously, so planting more trees, and I quote Jared, there's an indication that this has mind-blowing potential to tackle the climate crisis. So hmm. uh, basically, this study that was published by researchers of Crowther Lab in Zurich says that planting trees across 0.9 billion uh, hectares, which I couldn't tell you how big that is, um, of land... Isn't, hect eight, isn't that eight? Hexagon is six. Actually. So would that be six six acres? I'm not sure. Anyways, okay. sorry. <laughs> uh, this this could capture as much as two thirds of all emissions that have been released by human activities. So since the report, though, this has already caused some change. Since the report, local and national governments as well as companies have pledged to plant millions of trees. Which, if you've listened to our shout outs, we've talked about numerous times. You have. Um, Let's be clear. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I care about the climate. Jerry's just like, oh, whatever. We're all going to die. Anyways. Well, let's not, let's no, not get no, carried I'm away. I'm just, I'm just don't, kidding. Don't put that out uh, there. Come on. <laughs> right. Don't put that on. Don't put that on me. Uh, I recycle. Yeah, so, so what's cool, though, about this, Jared, is uh, Timberland, the boot brand, which has a tree on their logo, mm -hmm. uh, has pledged to support this by planting 50 million trees by 2025. Uh as well as uh, Timberland and other governments, uh, the U.S. government, Dominican Republic government, Haiti, China, and Mali have also pledged to plant a bunch of trees in the future as well. So I think this is really amazing. I also think it would be amazing to have a greener planet, not only in terms of cleaner air, but just more trees. I think trees are beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and it's great for wildlife and animals as well. So shout out to, to the company Timberland. All of the governments willing to plant more trees, and also uh, the Crowther Lab in Zurich for posting, uh, for publishing, sorry, such an important article that has already uh, ignited change within countries and companies. I think that's amazing. So um, my next shout out, Jared. Sorry, go ahead. All I was gonna say was, yeah, no, I agree with, the, with you about the tree thing. That's one thing I really love about now being back in Michigan after being in Philadelphia. It's just there is more greenery around in general. It's nice, right? And I'm lucky, too, here in Jinan because I'm further in the outskirts, and there's a lot of beautiful mountains and greenery. So it's very nice. nice. Um, okay, my next shout-out goes out to a retired fisherman named Paul Swanson, who has found a new purpose for fishing. So uh, Paul Swanson uh, from Spokane, Washington, Spokane. is the founder... Spokane, sorry. Uh, thank you, Jared. Is the founder of the H2O Magnet Fortunes Club, which is a magnet fishing group dedicated to collecting rusty scrap metal from the Spokane River. So uh, the funny thing is, though, is they interviewed hmm. him, and, and he was asked why he started the organization. I think you're going to love his answer, Jared. His answer was, I was bored. <laughs> so so he, he couldn't, apparently he couldn't fish anymore uh, because of the lines, and, and I'm not sure. Maybe there were some other difficulties. And so... He decided to create a little magnet fishing love in uh, Spokane, Washington. So since the club began in mid-June, they have collectively salvaged 11,100 pounds of metal, which are all sold to a recycling company. And then uh, everything that's processed is uh, donated to SOAR, S-O-A-R, which is a caregiving organization for children with autism. That's so crazy. not only not and only is he cleaning up the river, but they're donating all this metal 
to uh, a, an organization to help children with autism. So this is like a double wow. whammy of goodness yeah. here. And we send double the amounts of love to you, Mr. Swanson, because it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely that amazing. is. That's, that's yeah. Wow. War- warms your heart, right, Jared? Yeah. No, it's just impressive. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It is very impressive. Because I, I, I feel like a lot of people would, would be, you know, praised for their making the machine. But, you know, it would, it would probably be easier to make a company out of that or something or, you know. Oh, easy. Or, I mean, think uh, about all the money you could make from that. Right. Yeah. You can make a lot of money from that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But we, we really applaud and praise selfless acts like that here. And my last one is also a very selfless act, which is, uh, let me find the name of the teacher. Um, Jim Freeman. So my shout goes out to uh, a teacher in Kentucky named Jim Freeman, who carried a student with spina bifida, which is a disease where uh, you can't really walk. And this, this student has been wheelchair bound for most of her life. And they were going on a class field trip to walk around a state park in Ohio. Uh, uh, or sorry, a trip to Falls. Well, it says Falls of the Ohio State Park. So I assume it's in Ohio. Um, and the student was heartbroken <laughs> for the process of uh, missing out on the fun of being able to see the state park. And because of um, Jim Freeman stepping up and carrying her on his back, um, she was able to walk across, well, to uh, see the park <laughs> wow, terrain. Sorry, I messed up on that one. Uh, she was able to see all the beautiful scenery Slipping within the Gator state park. Piss. No kidding. Um, but yeah, so I think that's really amazing that this teacher uh, was yeah. willing to help out a student. And I don't even think this teacher was the one that was going on the field trip. So I think it's really amazing. It's well, a heartwarming story. So he just went story. along just to help? I, I think so. Uh, the the, the article like doesn't really say. Class today or what? <laughs> right um but yeah <laughs> so anyways that's enough love spreading for now i think it's time uh i think it's time jared knows what time it is i do here you go the untranslatable owl has uh struck and that means it's time for some new idioms sayings uh uh proverbs that don't make any sense if you translate but that will translate them directly but they do have some nice sage advice, wisdom, or a insult hidden somewhere deep in there. Uh, we just have to find it. Mine are all Mongolian. Oh, good. So, because are you serious? I'm 100% serious. Great. Because I was going to preface this untranslatable section by saying I couldn't find any. So props to you mm-hmm. for finding Mongolian ones. Mine today are Chinese. So hit me with some Mongolian, Jared. Let's, let's do this. Uh... Well, I'll say this. First of all, it looks like they use a uh, like a, a, a alphabet similar to the Russian one. Yep, it's called Cyrillic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And second thing, the uh, phonetic translations. Mm-hmm. Are, just cut cut your boy some slack. Is all I'm saying. Fair enough. Mukuni duchanga. Mukuni duchanga. A bad person's voice is loud. Now, first of all, first of all, first, hold on, hold on a second. Just hearing that, do you do you hear that and 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 think back to your week in Mongolia and be like, oh yeah, I could definitely imagine something like this being said there. Yeah, or people feeling I this way. I, I, I don't see why not. Sure, um, you know, I was kind of in a bubble because I spent most of the time with the other uh, English fellows who are all oh, Americans. Right. Um, but point. sure, sure. 
Um, so, so what a was bad it again? Person's voice, a bad person's voice is loud. So it's like, mm, I think I know what this means. It's just trying to put it into words, right. how to explain it. Cause I, I think, I that. think this one is clear. This one seems like it's clear. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Could be. I'm going to need you to give me something though. Take a stab. Right. At it. Right. Um, I, I would say that this is just like, you know, that. Oh, we oh I feel like we have a phrase in English like stupid people are like like it's just easy to tell when someone's a bad person like they're loud like their actions their actions speak louder than words. I, I'm gonna give you that's I, I'm gonna give you that. Story. Okay. I'll tell you what 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 they said. Loud okay. conversation style with a high pitch is considered immature and evil. Most Mongolians oh, talk quietly with little inflection that can partly be attributed to uh, this proverb. Talking softly and with little intonation can balance the idiosyncrasy of our language, is what they oh, say. Oh, fascinating. And it's funny mm-hmm. you mention that, Jared, because the the airport announcer... Whispered? At, uh, well, she, no, she she was super she was super monotone. Like there was no oh, inflection oh. in her voice. She was like, "Flight CO two is now boarding." Oh, well, there you go. Please check in to the boarding gate. Like it was very mono, and I was like, "Are you bored? Are you tired?" She probably was bored, but still. No, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, right. But um, yeah, no, I think that's just their style of talking. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. At least according so to my, that one untranslatable on a one website that I found. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so my first one for you, well, both of mine are Chinese today. And I believe this is a Cheng Yu, but I could be wrong. So it is Hua Long Dianjing, which means uh, dotting the eyeball when painting a dragon. It's like dotting your eyes and crossing your T's. You make sure you, um, you like you like your uh, cover. Every, you make sure you get every detail. Very detail oriented. I w- I would say, I or would it's say, like, or it's like, are you guessing? And it's like, oh, you got the answer. Or like, oh, you got right on the uh, on the money. I would say this one we use. I think you could use that one in that way, but I think there's another meaning to it. I think the other meaning we have an untranslatable in English um, that has to do with cake piece of cake no on uh, the top uh, of the cake oh like the 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 cherry on cher- uh the uh. yeah no you're you're right oh either the, the, che- the, the cherry on top or the icing on the cake right okay because let's say cherry on top uh, my first thought was actually like a sundae <laughs> right so so but here's yeah. the icing here's the on description the cake. i that, that right. is so here's the description i have for you jared it's used to describe adding that finishing touch that brings mm. a work of art to life or adding a word or two to clinch the point. Like the okay, like that final touch. It's like, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. It's like skip. Right. It's Maybe like, the sprinkles example, on top. The sprinkles yes. on top. I think that's when a better I, one. When I make like a, some sort of uh, bolognese or something, I'll be like, hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. Then you like sprinkle some parmesan on top and it's like oh, Exactly. Now, now exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like the salt bay. Like, anyway. Exactly. Uh, I another. Uh, you did it backwards. That was hilarious. You held your hand with, so oh, it would have like yeah, you fallen do it that into way, your you? elbow. That's right. <laughs> I'm a snack, Jared. What can I say? <laughs> you really don't know how to cook, do you? Anyway, um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> my next one is also Mongolian. All of mine are, uh, and it's Bukhin Dudokug Karjunig. 
Tuj Ukek. Oh, that's it. I didn't end it like that was the end, but that was the end. <laughs> and that means? Uh, fox starves to death by looking at the bottom of an ox. Hmm. Fox starves to death by looking at the bottom of the ox. Is this like you have to, you have to take action? You have to go get. If you want something, you got to go get it. Yeah, man. Ooh, all right. I mean, it's kind of the opposite. Like that's what the translate the meaning is. It's like to let grass grow under your feet. Mm. But you know, obviously, to just you know, it's essentially you know, or yeah. to watch paint dry. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. a great. Or yeah, to watch grass grow or to watch paint dry. Those are two classic yeah. wasting time. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I can imagine your parents uh, saying both of those to you. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. All right. So my last one for you today, Jerry, is uh, Chinese, and I think this one is also a Chengyu. So it is Zhi uh, Shang Tanbing, which means armchair strategy. Oh, it's like a, a armchair quarterback, where it's like you are trying to, like you're you're trying to act like you have the solutions, but you're just like sort of sitting down watching it happen and just throwing out random ideas to the professionals, essentially. I'll I'll give you that one, but I think it's a little different. I think this one means basically when you are all talk, no action. Okay, so it is slightly different because yeah. armchair quarterback is more like someone that has no, like, really doesn't know what they're talking about. That's acting like right. they're like the the pro. Right. So right here, Jared, an armchair strategy refers to people who engage in idle talk, but are unable to act on their high-minded theories. Is usually used to urge people to combine mm. theories with practical knowledge and not only be bookworms. So there okay. you go. One more Mongolian one. Perfect. Turin tulu agotno buj ukene. And it's like the mouse that hanged itself for the state. For the state? Mm hmm. So is this like you shouldn't be just like a sheep, like a follower? Not really. Not no? really. But it does have to do okay. with like political involvement, essentially. Okay. Give it to me. What is it? Uh, don't bother with politics. Your efforts won't amount to anything. So apparently what I oh, read okay. was that there is like, like they do like to talk politics a lot in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people would say, will, will say, you know, uh, you know, you're like a, a mouse that hung yourself for the state. Like it's pointless. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, that, that, I think that really Did you makes notice a, a lot, lot of, of political sense. talk when you were there. No. Uh, but then oh, again, okay. when I was when I was interacting with Mongolian people, it was more they were asking me questions about the United States and English teaching right. and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, actually, I didn't get one Trump question while I was there. Now that I think about it, oh, what a relief! Um, I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think some Mongolians are. It seems like some Mongolians though are very interested in politics, and others really don't care. Um, mm. It's kind of like the states. Um, yeah. So Jared, before I tell you all about my experience in Mongolia, I have kind of. I found some really interesting Mongolian proverbs, and I want to talk uh, talk about them with you and see if we can try to figure out what some of these mean. Some of these are, okay. I think, very clear, but I thought these would be cool and just kind of a fun way to, to segue from untranslatables to mm-hmm. Mongolia. Um, okay. So I think this one's pretty clear, but I really love this proverb. Who cleans up the dirt washes away happiness. 
who cleans up the dirt. So it's like, don't, um, what I hear is like, don't sort of, um, don't, live in denial of, of your shortcomings or your don't okay. hide like your skeletons in your closet because all of these things are what makes you you and you can't just you can't just live your life being like some squeaky queen squeaky clean robot yeah that's how, I, that's what that feels like to me yeah i i agree i was also thinking this one could also mean like don't be afraid to to get dirty, like don't be afraid to work hard and, and put your <laughs> you betcha <laughs> and, and and really give give it your all because what I've noticed in life so far, Jared, in mm-hmm. my almost twenty eight years, is that oh yeah, uh, someone's is, got a birthday coming up. That's that's right. Uh, there was a subtle subtle little nudge, <laughs> um, but no. So th- I mean, all the things that have really made me happy in life haven't come easy. I've had mm-hmm. to work hard for them. Uh, if we're talking about this whole dirt metaphor, I've had to definitely, there's been some blood, sweat, and tears in there. And if you just kind of try to wash it away, or like you said, be in denial of it, um, you're not being your, your full self. So yeah, but I, yeah. I really like that one. My next and one, no one for you. And no one likes people that act, let act like they have no flaws and that, or, or that right. like seem like they're just flawless. Like no one likes those right. people. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly, I agree. My next one for you, Jared, is you can't put two saddles on the same horse. Can't put two saddles on the same horse. Now, this seems like it should be obvious, but I'm initially struggling here. Me too, and that's why I picked this one because, on like at face value, it seems it it maybe this one just goes without trying to explain because it seems like it makes sense. What I what I think it is is you just can't you can't do two things at once. Like if you want to ride a horse properly, yeah. you can't put two saddles on it. You know, you right. gotta just focus on the one thing you're doing. Um, what I should have done in hindsight is mm. given these proverbs to some of my Mongolian friends and had them tell me about them. But I didn't do that because uh, we were too busy talking about English teaching. But Stick a microphone um, on their face. That's, that's right, yeah. <laughs> hey, record can I just record this real quick? Right, right. <laughs> it's for research purposes, don't worry. Um, but yeah, all right, I have a couple more just for you. sign this real quick, just sign this. A uh, couple more for you. I love this one. This one, and this one might even have to be like a, like a, I feel like this would be on an inspirational poster. A man fails seven times and rises eight times. Oh yeah, it's just like, like no one succeeds without failure, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a classic, untranslatable. I'd probably say just about all around the world. Right. Oh, in for some, sure. Some form or another. Right. Absolutely. And the last one I'll give you is uh, a tiger wearing a bell will starve. I'm not really sure what that means. Like I kind of get it, but I'm not really sure. I think you know what I'm gonna argue that that has something to do with my a bad person's voice is loud one where it's I would like agree. you don't like I, I think it, it sort of reinforces the they don't not a fan of loud people where it's like you're never going to get right. what you want if you're all loud about it man they must right. and, and they like americans <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs> seems, <laughs> seems like it <laughs> seems like it. are a loud bunch we really um, are. Uh, but now that I think about it, yeah, Mongolian people were not, yeah, like when I was in restaurants, they did not talk loud. And we were at a restaurant and there was a, we don't know why they moved, but there was a group of people sitting at a table behind us and they moved. 
So I don't know if they moved because they like saw us and like we were being loud and they were like, oh, these annoying loud Americans. Could have been they just moved because like a couple more people. I don't really know. But right. anyways, now let's get into my cultural experience in Mongolia um, because yes, we've covered please. the teaching portion. Um, but so just my first, I'll give you my first. Yeah. Before. No, I hate, I hate to do this. But before we uh-huh. even get into this, could you give me. At least from what you know or learned during your time uh-huh. there, just a quick, a quick, quick, a, a quick. quick uh, <laughs> are you French, Jared? Slipping on gator piss. Could you give me a quick uh, lesson on Mongolia and sort of like its history? On like oh, how gee. it. Oh, geez, nah, that nah, is that's a, a big loaded, question. That's a loaded question. But sort of like like how, like what's uh, what what's its place in in uh, like in, in in society? I don't I don't I just don't know really anything about that's, it. That's an episode within itself right there, Jared. <laughs> I know. What, I just, the question I you of, just asked me. Just for a quick opening question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, just be brief. A couple sentences about Mongolia. Go. the entire history of Mongolia, <laughs> the government system. Uh, okay. It's culture, well, just in one sentence. Right. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you the brief things I know. And I did get to go to the Mongolia, the National Mongolia Museum of History, which was really okay. cool. Um, but you weren't allowed to take photos. So had I been allowed to take photos... I would have been able to refer back to this. And I didn't bring mm-hmm. a pen and paper and wasn't taking notes for the podcast because <laughs> I'm a terrible Jesus co-host, Christ, as Jerry knows. So, <laughs> but, what I can, but, but what I can tell you about Mongolia is um, historically it was, con, it was made up of, I, oh, I forget the number of families, but there were like families or tribes. I believe there were eight of them. I could be wrong. Um, and uh, it was mostly made up of nomadic people. So they would uh, travel with, you know, different different herds of animals. As you mentioned in our previous episode, Mongolia is uh, home to the two-humped camel. That is a native species of Mongolia. In Mongolia, they do have the Gobi Desert. Um, so those camels are super useful in the Gobi Desert. Uh, and the cool thing about Mongolia is, as I mentioned on the last episode, it is roughly the size of Alaska. So it's a very large country. Mm-hmm. Although the biggest, the most dense population is in Ulaanbaatar, the capital. And I will tell you, Jared, my own experience there, the traffic is crazy within the city. Because when the city was built, it was not designed to have this many people and this much traffic. Back then, people were using horses, not cars, and even camels to travel around. So right. as you can imagine, you're not going to have camel jams or horse jams, but you definitely get traffic <laughs> jams. So. And- uh, if I'm not mistaken, the infrastructure is not great. It's so it's it's still I, I would say in a lot of ways an up and coming city. Like when we came in from the airport, there's still tons of high rise apartment buildings being built. Mm-hmm. And I hate to go back and compare Mongolia to China because they're very different. But it it did remind me a lot of China, just the big high rises being built. Because even here in China, you drive around and you see tons of high rises being built still. Right. Um, and you know Ulaanbaatar, you can, the only way you can really build now is up. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of like I just typed in Ulaanbaatar traffic, and it's uh-huh. literal chaos. Like, mm-hmm. like it's just like all, cars in all sorts of directions, sort of just going yep. at each other. Yep. <laughs> and so let me tell you, Jared, when we came in from the airport uh, on Friday, it was really crazy because we so we had two nine nine passenger sized vans because there were there were nine of us, and um, the the guy that was driving in front of us in the van, 
he didn't hit, but his wheel, he was turned. And I mean, you literally have to pull out and be super aggressive. I've never, I thought people used their horns a lot in China. Mm. Holy crap, dude. It was like <laughs> horns every other second. And the funny thing is, there were a few times where like people were at a stoplight and the light was red and people were still honking. And, and this was when I was walking around, so I was on the sidewalk. But I was like, what are you honking at? Like, they, <laughs> like, they you literally can't go, anywhere. can't go. Like, yeah, why are you honking? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, the traffic there is pretty crazy. You have to be an incredibly aggressive driver. Like, I could like not no imagine. no one lets anyone in anywhere. Right. You, you pull in, basically. Right. And the crazy thing was, our, our, the van in front of our, us, um, actually, they didn't hit. But because it's so tight in there, he was turning and he just tapped the person the the prius in front of him with his tire so there's no I mean, dent no damage but the guy got out of his car the t- the guy in the van got out and they were like yelling at each other <laughs> and he, was, he was basically like look man like it was just my tire like there's no damage there's no problem yeah and it's like what do you expect look at this the right. fact that that but the, the, i, I could tell you this i've never been that close to a car i i've been driving for 10 years or whatever right. i've never been so close to a car that i could turn my wheel and touch a car with my wheel you right. know Right. Like that is ridiculously close in itself on like a major road or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. And well, I, like I said, the streets weren't designed to have all these cars and all these Does people living you in one sick? place. You get kind of motion sick, don't you? I don't get motion sickness at all. That's not you. Okay, come on. I'm I'm not Chris. I'm not your cousin. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> no, I, I don't get. Thankfully, I don't get motion sickness. Um, but there were definitely a couple jerky moments in the in the van where I was like, oh, like. You know, just because like we were like hard going to look and out the window and, occasionally, like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, I was in the back though too, and I was like, you know what? If we get in an accident, like, I'm probably safe where I am. You know, it's and it's as hard. I always say in those situations, you got to look at the person's car. What does their car look like? Right. And these vans were immaculate. There were no well, dents, no dings, nothing. So we were good. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so the crazy thing was too, though, I would guess if there wasn't traffic, it'd probably be a 20 minute drive to get from mm-hmm. the airport which is slightly on the outskirts of Ulaanbaatar into our hotel was right by what they call Sukhbatar Square which is uh, the square where the parliament building is it's really cool and I believe the hotel so I stayed at uh, it's called Hotel Ulaanbaatar and this is one of the first five-star hotels that was ever in Ulaanbaatar and I believe it was a hotel for Russian diplomats and stuff back in the day yeah so it was super fancy super fancy I think I paid about 60 to 65 bucks a night, somewhere around there. Wow, balling out of budget. Right, <laughs> that's right. great. Um, so, yeah, well, that's the nice thing about uh, Mongolia is it's very affordable. Um, and the crazy thing is, though, too, is that the Mongolian currency, as we mentioned on the previous episode, um, you know, they use like thousands. So, like, if you buy a meal, it'll be 20 to 40,000 uh, Mongolian, I believe it's uh, uh, called like. Turex or something like that. So I just had wads of bills, dude. I felt like <laughs> I was a boss. And then I do the conversion rate. You got like, like I six paid dollars. Like I paid five thousand. I paid five thousand. Tugruk is what it's called. Uh, Tugruk, thank you. I paid five thousand Tugruk for like two beers. And I was like, how expensive is, is this? And I did the conversion. It was like two dollars. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, walking around with all that all that cash. Um, but yeah, Ulaanbaatar, man, was such a cool city. I mean, just the, the architecture was awesome. There's this really cool bar we went to. It's a bar in a hotel called Blue Sky. 
and Blue Sky was awesome because it's on the 23rd floor and you get this beautiful view of the entire city. And we went Ooh. at night, so it was all lit up and illuminated. And that was really awesome. Um, and the interesting thing about Mongolian, as you mentioned, Jared, the alphabet is Cyrillic, which is mm-hmm. like a Russian alphabet. And the reason why is because the Soviets uh, were in uh, Mongolia. Right. They occupied it for quite some time. And before the Soviets came, there was only there was less than a two percent liter uh, literacy rate among Mongolians. Oh, wow. That's probably because they were nomadic people, and I mean, you don't really need to read to hunt and trade. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not like you really need to read. And so after the Soviets came, they had a very hard push towards literacy, and now I think like over ninety percent of Mongolians are literate. Oh, wow. But the alphabet they use is Cyrillic. Um, right. But I'm not sure how that works because they don't speak Russian; they speak Mongolian. So the alphabet is Cyrillic, which is which is interesting that that's the alphabet. It makes sense because the Soviets so, were there. But I so wonder how the really, Cyrillic sounds work with the Mongolian sounds. Is what I'm saying. Right. So there's not really like a relation between the the Mongolian and Russian language, except for the fact that they use the same alphabet. Correct. Yeah, Mongolian and Russian. Yeah, I don't think Mongolian and Russian have any relation. When I, could I be saw wrong. the when I saw the you know the alphabet i just assumed oh I, I i you know i'm sure there's like you know some level of similarity there yeah but i guess it's similar to like like it seems almost kind of foolish to say how does that work because it's like you know the alphabet that we use here in the united states is used in a whole bunch of other countries where we can't even begin to understand what they're saying and they very make it true. work <laughs> very true that's a great point maybe just because the alphabet's different to my eye i was thinking that that's right. a good point though um, I understand where yeah. you're coming from, though. Like, I definitely understand that that thought process right. that you would have to be like, yeah, I don't even know how right. to make that work. But yeah, um, so let's see. You here. were there mm-hmm. with um, like a group. This this group of people was like a sector of the people that uh, that you met when you first got there, or a group of those so, people. So these are I would call them my colleagues. They're all other English language fellows around China, and there's two of them in Mongolia that hosted us and showed us around. And so I believe there were 11 so of us all together. They didn't have, they weren't driving though. No, 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 no. Well, okay. so thankfully where our hotel was located, we were within walking distance to both universities during the conference. And then we did rent a van to take us out. So we went out to the, uh, With the driver, like this, didn't drive. No one drove. Right. No okay. one drove, but we were on this bus and then we went all the way out to, I, uh, uh, I believe it's called Tuf, which is. Uh, Mongolian for middle and so we went to a different province and there they have a giant statue of uh, Genghis Khan and I will tell you Jared in a lot of countries and cultures Genghis Khan is looked at as a villain mm-hmm. he is a complete hero in Mongolia which makes sense I mean he what, isn't that where he originated from well he well yeah one he was Mongolian and two I mean he made the Mongolian empire huge the Mongolian mm-hmm. empire I saw I wish I could it's have the taken world, a picture essentially. right well, the, the Mongolian Empire, I, I wish I could have taken a picture at the museum because they had maps comparing the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Alexander the Great's empire, Napoleon's empire, and the Mongolian Empire was like two times the size of all those other empires. Like it there's, spanned... Go ahead. There's just some sort of uh, like ridiculous stat. I'm looking at a picture of it. It is gigantic uh, of the map. There, there is some... Uh, it almost looks like like almost the size of like Russia or something like that. Yeah, it's. I but mean, it's huge. There, there is a stat that uh, I don't know exactly what it is. I'm kind of just making this up, but it's essentially that uh, gigantic portion of the uh, of humans 
have mm-hmm. some sort of um, trace of, of Genghis Khan in them just because of so, uh, the amount of land that they conquered and sort of... Uh, right. Right. Know, well, I know, I know in some pillaged. Asian countries... Right. I know in some Asian countries, they actually have a birthmark. I don't know what it looks like, but there's a birthmark that they call like the Mongolian or Genghis Khan birthmark. Um, so yeah. Um, but he, he's definitely seen as a big hero in Mongolia for good reason. Uh, and so we got to go out to the statue and the statue I believe was, I thought they said it was like 30 meters high. You're going to have to do the conversion in feet cause I have no idea, but it was gigantic. <laughs> it was huge and it was all made out of silver. Um, and then in this, if you just, just Google, uh, Jared Genghis Khan statue, Mongolia, uh, and That's you should see it. it's this huge, feet, by the way, 98 there you go. and a half feet. And it was huge. And within the statue, in the basement of the statue, there's a museum. And so that museum was super cool. They had uh, different traditional Mongolian clothing. They also had pictures Damn. of all. Yeah, it's like it's in the awesome. middle of nowhere, too. Yeah, yeah. And so you can <laughs> oh look out and you can gosh. see what they call the steps, which horse. are these mountains. That horse looks gigantic. Yeah, yeah. You and know, I'll, it, I'll, go ahead. You know, remember when we went to Treptow Park in Berlin? Uh huh. I yep. feel like if you put that gigantic uh, statue, it would be like one of those horses' legs. I don't think it's that big, but it's definitely okay. bigger than the statue in Trap Tower Park, it for sure. it gigantic. Yeah. And the cool thing is you can climb all the way up to the top, and there's like a spot at the horse where you can get out and look out. And so you see this beautiful oh, cool. view of the mountains, or the steps, as they call them in Mongolia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, you it got was a quite a this, sight. Right? I'm going to now because I'm back in China and I don't have Instagram, I can't post them, but I will send you, you all these. You can send them to me. Okay. okay. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Took tons of, I took, you should be proud of me, Jared. I took so many pictures while I was oh, there. I can't wait. Um, that, but yeah, is so, a so very, that, was great. that might be one of the most impressive statues I've ever seen in my life. Oh, for and sure. And I'm looking at a picture, but. Right. Yeah. Being there was really amazing. Uh, and the, and the museum downstairs was really cool. They also had a painting of, oh, shoot. I don't remember the number now. I think it was like, it was either 26 or 36 different cons or like emperors. Um, And so they had paintings all throughout of these different emperors um, of Mongolia. And the way it worked was uh, Genghis Khan, the reason why he's so important is he he united all of the different tribes. Um, Mm -hmm. So before him, they would have, you know, like they'd have their own tribal leaders. And back then, I guess the way it would work is if you defeated the, I think it was like this in most places back then, if you defeated the other village or tribe, you became the emperor. Um, but Hell I don't know yeah. if, right, but I don't know, I don't know if <laughs> he killed all the now. other ones or how they made it work, but um, it was really quite something to see. And what's interesting is the, the whole point of where the statue is, there's kind of the story in history that this is where Genghis Khan, when he was 17 years old, he found a golden horse whip right near where the statue was. <laughs> and in Mongolian culture, horses are incredibly important. And yes. a golden horse whip uh, represents luck and good fortune. So um, they so kind of say really that... almost like deified over there Oh, a for sure. Bit. 100%. I, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize it was like that. Oh, 100%. I mean, look, the airport is called Genghis Khan Airport. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and in Mongolian, it's spelled C H I N. G-G-I-S. Uh, we say Genghis. I don't know if they say Chinggis or Genghis. I'm not sure how they say it. I say Shaka Khan. Um, there, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so Genghis Khan is a big thing in Mongolia. Uh, and I got to say, man, you know, being from the West, I always thought of him kind of like a villain. 
Now I kind of think of him as a hero. <laughs> it's kind of changed my I, perspective. I, kinda just, I mean, I, I kind of thought of him as a villain, too. And maybe it helps that he was far enough back in time where you can sort of like, like you know, uh, this is going to be a terrible thing to say. Just bear with me. <laughs> oh, like, no, here we the go. Holocaust was, I think, too soon in comparison for like it to for like you know for people to say like I, I don't know as I hate that I just said that but I feel like it helps that what I'm essentially trying to say is I feel like it helps that it was further back in time you know right um, and, and it's not as fresh or like it's it's more even though like there is history to it it's more of like a lore almost than right than like fact to most people sure well yeah yeah you're right I think the further time goes back it becomes more of it doesn't feel it almost isn't real. real. Yeah, right. it feels like a legend or a fable. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so... It's very so real, he, though. It's just right, to be clear. <laughs> right. No kidding. Um, but yeah, so that was really amazing. We went on Monday, and the other cool thing is on the way out there, we stopped by this... Uh, I don't know what you would call it. I don't know if you'd call it a farm or what you would call it, but they had camels, and they had gold eagles, and they had a, a little target where you could shoot bow and arrow, and they had some souvenirs you could buy. And so we stopped off there, and a couple, I should have, in hindsight, I should have uh, rode the two-hump camel. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. Fear? Um, I'd be a little afraid. I, I mean, they're tall, dude. They're super tall. Um, yeah. So maybe some of it was fear. I just, I was also enjoying, like, the sights. Do you ride I, I, in between the humps and look around it, or do you? Like, yeah, you ride it. Well, the humps aren't that high, but yeah, you ride okay. in between the humps, and you hold on to the, you hold on to the front hump. I imagine um, like Ace Ventura when he drives his car and sticks his head right, out the window. <laughs> right. No, they're not that high up. But uh, okay. ca- camels are so cool, dude. Like when we got there, they're just like chilling. And, you know, they're always like, I forget there's like a specific term. Like they chew like in a circle. And it's kind of funny. Oh. Like they're just kind of goofy looking the way they're like chewing in a circle. I've seen single humped camels in Morocco before. Right, and so but yeah, I, these I didn't are double. Realize the double hump thing was like like special, like a special sort of specific to Mongolia. Yep. Camel, native species of camel there, um, and yeah. So I got to hold a golden eagle, and I tell you what, man, now that's these things scary. are these things are deceptively heavy. You'd think they'd be light because they're a bird. Right. I held it, and I think the one I held was about ten kilos, so about twenty two pounds. And how how a bird that's twenty how can a bird be twenty two pounds I don't know and still be able to fly, um, right. but it was kind of heavy. It's a powerful and, bird though, right? And the funny thing is when you hold them, what you have to do, I mean, if you look at pictures, and I, and I think I posted pictures of me holding the eagle on Instagram on your um, account. Okay, well, so we'll I'll have, have to send it your way on ours yeah. when this episode is up, though. But, but what you have to do is when you you have the like little sleeve because they have talons, and what you have to do is you have to rock your arm back and forth. And when you do that, that's when they spread their wings like they're flying. Um, and oh. so, so that's is how that you like, make it look it, like they they're have, flying. Does it feel because because to them does it feel like they're about to like fall off or something? Probably, and they need to so balance. It's like a balance thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it looks um, very majestic. The only thing that makes this picture kind of not cool is the big cheese and grin on your face. <laughs> right. No kidding. No kidding. Right. Well, the funny thing is, uh, is we were joking around uh, with my colleagues, and, and we when we would take pictures, we would do what we would call a Mongolian smile, which was. No, no smile at all just because if you uh, look at like if you look at historical pictures of anybody it's not even of mongolians but anybody like historical black and white pictures nobody smiles right and so we My saw a bunch of don't smile in pictures oh really okay yeah um 
So yeah, and so so that's when we jokingly started to be like Mongolian smile, and then everyone would just like deadpan serious, like. If if you uh, <laughs> if you type in uh, Golden Eagle Mongolia, there are some mm-hmm. powerful pictures of Mongolian, mostly men, in these giant uh, fur jackets. Uh, yep. Making the birds do those do the wing thing, and they're all a lot right. of them are doing the Mongolian smile. So here's here's another interesting thing though about Mongolian people, Jared, is that the nomads, especially the ones who use these golden eagles to hunt, because they use them to hunt, uh, they have a purpose. They train. So they're them trained and, to bring the yeah. like animals back to you. I I'm not really sure how it works, but I would assume so. Yeah. But there is a system where they kill stuff and you get it. <laughs> I, th- I think i think okay. i don't know enough about it but what i, mean, I if can tell you the though, hunt you'd assume that they're getting it somehow right right uh or maybe spot something too um, uh, but anyways what what's interesting is um some the the mongolian hunters that use these golden eagles they have developed crazy amazing eyesight to be able to spot their uh eagle in the sky so like for, for most people, 20-20 vision is like great vision, right? I guess Mongolian people are somewhere up in the 60s or 70s, which I don't even know how that works. Wow. I'm no eye doctor, but like their well, eyesight is amazing. I, I, well, I know essentially what that means is you can see like what normal people can see from 20, like 20 feet away looks normal to those people at 60 feet away, essentially. I see. There we go. Thank you. Um, yeah, so... And so, yeah, that seems insane. So it's just right. because they, they've been, there's like, you know, generations of needing that, that good eye. So it's just right. sort of uh, interesting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I will tell you, I saw way less people wearing glasses in Mongolia than I see here in China. So <laughs> that was also kind of interesting. I wonder, is there also a lot more, now this, I don't know if this is, is there a lot more staring at technology happening in China also, I feel like? Yes, big time. Okay, that yeah, people are like not a, attached to their phones in Mongolia. Well, one, they don't have WeChat pay. Like, like they, people in Mongolia use WeChat, but I don't think they're as, uh, in de- as dependent on it as people in China are. Like, people in China right. use it for everything. They use it for to pay. They use it for, like, social media. They use it... Um, you can like book a like a cab or a car from WeChat. Uh, so in Mongolia, they're just not as dependent on it. They probably only use it as a messaging app. But most Mongolians that I came into contact with were actually messaging me using WhatsApp. So I don't even right. think they use WeChat that much at all. Oh, oh my God! We forgot to mention this. You were internet free. Oh yeah, yeah. So I had access to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook everything gmail it was so nice dude that's <laughs> oh, why i, I was imagine. posting stuff on our instagram because i could actually access it yeah um, and um yeah was it good like was it uh, the internet was pretty uh, so here's the weird thing so what i did my first or second day there uh, one of my colleagues told me oh yeah they have like a thing for tourists where you can get a sim card and it's only like ten dollars so i got 10 days of of data I don't know how much the calling and texting was. All I cared about was the data. I got mm. ten days of uh, I got ten days for ten gigabytes for less than ten dollars. So I paid I think nine dollars and twenty cents, uh, and I had a Mongolian SIM card. So and that was how I was able to access all this stuff because a couple of my colleagues their Chinese SIM cards worked over there like they had data, but because it was still running through China they couldn't access any like oh. Western social media. So because but here's the weird thing though Jared is we had Wi-Fi at the hotel. 
and the Wi-Fi worked fine on my phone. It wasn't too bad actually, but I couldn't connect my laptop. Like it said I had Wi-Fi, but then when I would go online, it said no internet connection. So I basically brought my laptop for nothing all the way to <laughs> Mongolia um, because I didn't use it at all. I used my phone. Right. And I was watching YouTube videos. I was, you know, watching like stories on Instagram. I looked yesterday after I took out my Mongolian SIM card. Take a guess how much data I used in six days. Uh, I'm going to say eight gigabytes. Now, I only had 10 gigabytes. I only used four gigabytes. Oh, wow. That's pretty That's good. It. Yeah. But I, I mean, also, also wasn't on my phone that much because right, we were Right, like you busy. weren't looking at it yeah. all day. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, and really, I use it mostly for pictures. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad I, I had it. So now, so we went to the, the Genghis Khan statue. That was amazing. We got to see a lot of gurs, and a gur is the Mongolian word for yurt. It's like mm-hmm. this special rounded tent they make. And I will tell you, to all our listeners out there, who I hope you will go to Mongolia after listening to this episode in the future, because it's a great country, amazing city. We'll talk about the food in a minute, too, because the food is something else over there. No, you obviously but, know I, I was... Right, right. <laughs> but, but I will just a cultural note. I would say call it a gur and not a yurt, because that is the Russian word for it. And that Yo, also yurt kinda, is? Yeah, and so that kind of oh. goes back to those times. So I would say call it a gur. That's what they call it over there. Um, and then you're not going to offend anyone culturally. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's really cool. So we got to see those. And there are even within the city of Ulaanbaatar... There are neighborhoods where it's all girths. It's all these oh, rounded cool. tents. So, they, so you get... Go ahead. Are, there, are any of them like extravagant or not extravagant, but they're like maybe like two or three connected to make a big no. one? Or is it... No. Are they like that because they are nomadic people? So it's break exactly. down and well, build and up. And they have... Exactly. They have to break them down. They have to change the cover for winter and summer because mm. Ulaanbaatar is the coldest capital city in the world. It can get below minus 30. Uh, there. Damn. Yeah. So it, well, it, I mean, it the elevation's super high, isn't it? Right. Yes. And it snowed while I was there. Oh, so I got to see that? some snow. That was great. I loved it. I was walking home, um, and it started snowing. It was awesome. Um, but yeah. So so uh, so they have all these gurs, which are these rounded tents. They have them within the city, and then you see them when we went out to the statue. It was about a two-hour drive. Uh, I think it was about fifty or sixty kilometers away. Could be more. Um, but you, you also see that, and then you see tons and tons of horses, cows, and sheep, which was awesome. There were a few times where our bus driver had to stop. He honked the horn, and then the sheep would cross the road, or, <laughs> or the, the horses would cross the road. So that was what interesting was to see. What was the terrain like driving outside of Ulaanbaatar? So some of the roads were pretty bad. Like I, mm-hmm. we, Coming from Michigan, we complain about the roads. Some of these roads were really <laughs> bad. Um, but then it was also weird because in the city, the traffic was terrible. It took us just as long to get out of the city as it did to travel to our destination once we were actually on the road and going. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show you how congested the traffic can be there. Um, and the other interesting thing about traffic, though, Jared, about cars is they have a lot of Toyota Priuses, but they all have left-handed, uh, or sorry, the steering wheels are on the right side of the car, like in England. Right. But they drive on the same side on the, as we on do. On the left. So I've you see steering wheels. That. Yeah. So, so you see steering wheels that. on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So I so heard that that happened for like back when like there was some something. I don't uh, now. I don't remember the story. I'm mad I brought this up. But uh, yeah, I've heard about that, and it does make things very confusing from what I've heard. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you at least I know most of the cars that have the steering wheels on the opposite side for Westerners, they're bought from Japan. 
because that's the side where the steering uh, wheels are in Japan. So that's why. Right. Um, and I've never seen so many Toyota Priuses in my life. There were tons and tons of them in Ulaanbaatar. And all of them had the steering wheels on the right side of the car. So that was interesting. But anyways, so yeah, so I got to see lots of cool animals. Like I said, mm-hmm. golden eagle, double hump camel, a lot of horses. Um, horses are a huge thing in, Mon- in Mongolian culture. I mean, it enabled them to have the vast empire they had. And moving on to food, Jared, they do eat horse in Mongolia. Okay. And you better believe I tried me some horse. How was it? It was it was interesting. It was good, but it was it definitely tasted different than any other meat I've had. Like and and it's hard what for me to What was like the consistency of it? it you was, can't relate it to anything really. Mm, well, I'm trying to think. Well, was it a dark uh, you, meat? You could, it, was it was a dark, dark meat. meat. It was a dark okay. meat. You could kind of relate it to like like beef, like not like a steak, but like thin cut. Like you know how if you go to a Chinese restaurant and you get a dish with beef, it's mm-hmm. like thin like cuts of beef. Sure. Um, that's kind of that's kind of how it was. I will say it tasted. I don't know if gamey is the right word, but it did taste a little, a little bit tough. different. Not really tough. It was tender meat, but it it just had a different taste to it than any other meat I've had. Now I wonder and if some of that was psychosomatic, could like be. in your head. Could be, but uh, but I mean it was good, and and they have a couple different Mongolian dishes. We had uh, it was really good. It was horse meat with noodles, and that was really delicious. Uh, and a restaurant recommendation I would give to any tourists going there would be, uh, it's called Modern Nomads is the name of the place. Uh, it's a restaurant. And not only do they have a lot of great traditional Mongolian food, but they also have vegetarian equivalents. So if you are vegetarian oh. or vegan, there are dishes there for you, which is great. They have one of my favorite dishes over there is called uh, kushur. And kushur is like this, it's almost like a, like a, so in China, they have like steamed dumplings, right? Mm-hmm. This almost looks like an empanada or, or like a taco shell that's been closed up or like a, and they have meat inside. So it's fried and they have either lamb or horse or beef inside of it. Or so you can like get it with vegetables. like a samosa maybe. Yeah. 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 That's probably a better equivalent, but it was so good. Like, I don't know what the dough is made oh, out of, I'm but it was delicious. It. Sorry. I, I found it online. Yeah. It's super tasty. Did you uh, indulge in any sort of milk-related beverages? I had. I tried their milk tea. So it's like this salty, warm milk tea. Milk tea. It wasn't bad. It wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I did not try any fermented horse milk. Uh, for okay. me, that was just a little too extreme. Um, <laughs> Is it fermented the cool- in the sense like, it, like it's alcoholic? I have no idea. Oh, I couldn't okay. tell you. I didn't try it. I did try some good uh, Mongolian beer. The beer was pretty good. It was all... Um, more like a like a light light beer, like a lager, uh, but right. it was pretty tasty. Um, let's see here. What else did I have? I had horse meat, which was interesting. I tried kushur, which was really good. I also, for the first time in my life, I had liver, so that was interesting. Mm. Didn't mind it. Um, so I'm slowly, slowly, slowly becoming more adventurous. This is exciting. Um, yeah, liver is definitely one of those ones that's uh, like I'm not against it. But just in my head, it's just like, ooh, you know, like mm. that's just my first thought, which right. is never a good way to go into trying any new food. <laughs> Correct. Very true. Um, but yeah, and the nice thing too about Mongolia is, or at least Ulaanbaatar, I keep saying Mongolia, I mean Ulaanbaatar, uh, is because it's a capital city, there's a lot of different restaurants. So you can get Western style food. We went to an Irish pub 
And they actually had Pilsner wow. Orkval on tap, which was pretty oh, good. Oh, cool. Um, and the food there was great. Uh, I had a I had the the Genghis Khan burger, which was a hamburger <laughs> with bacon and other stuff, and it came with a salad and fries. But that was really uh, good. Are there a lot of expats in Ulaanbaatar? Um, I would say yes and no. I think there are a lot of businessmen, and where we were, we were near. We were right downtown, downtown, where like we weren't too far from like other embassies and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I think you see like those type of um, those type of expats there, like businessmen and. Um, diplomats and stuff and people working at the embassy but otherwise i don't think there's a ton of expats there not like other countries and sadly i think business going on there i assume um more than you'd think but uh, but sadly i think mongolia and ulaanbaatar fly under the radar you know when people think of asia they think of oh i'm gonna go to seoul or i'm gonna go to tokyo or beijing or shanghai but mm-hmm. I think I think Ulaanbaatar is definitely worth a trip. It's such an amazing city. And the last thing I'll talk about, Jared, because we could go on for hours. But the last thing I'll talk about is I went to a like this event at the Tumanek uh, Theater, which is a, a traditional Mongolian theater, and they had about an hour act where they showed some traditional Mongolian dance, traditional Mongolian music, and in certain provinces in Mongolia they also do contortion, which is basically like this crazy flexible uh, gymnastics uh, routine. Oh, yeah. Kind of like the guy from uh, Ocean's, uh, Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> exactly. And so, so they played a lot of really cool traditional Mongolian music, which we'll get to in a minute when we talk about our Song of the Pod, a little teaser for our listeners out there. Um, but the music was really cool because they had a lot of traditional instruments. So they have an erhu, which is uh, like a... It's kind of like a, I would say it's like a, an Asian cello in a way, but it only has two mm. strings uh, and it oh, has like a box yes. shape. Uh, and that was really cool. A lot of the other instruments, I don't know what the names are, but they had this one that was kind of like a harp or like a, in Austria, they have what's called a, a zither, which is like a small harp. And in Austria, I believe you pluck it. In Mongolia, they actually use these little, little sticks and they hit it. So that was really cool to watch. Hmm. Then uh, they had... Uh, a couple different Mongolian style singers, and one of the types of singers, uh, it had like really cool like jumps in between pitches. Uh, I would try to imitate it, but I won't do it justice. So just g- Google or for our <laughs> listeners in Asia who don't have Google, Bing, uh, traditional Mongolian music, and you'll be able to find it. The other one though, which was amazing, was the Mongolian throat singing. And so the cool yes. thing about throat singing is. Uh, a throat singer can make two different pitches at once. So I don't know how they do it. I'm still trying to figure out how they do it. It blew my mind when I heard it. <laughs> because you hear this low pitch yes. um, that they kind of drone, and then they can make a melody on top of that. Like, wah. Yeah, it's right. like, a, it's like right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I regret um, doing that, but yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> right right but and so i remember singing in the crowd and watching and it was just this one guy who came out and and sang and at mm-hmm. first like they had later in the act they had some like throat singing with instruments but first it was just this guy doing it and he had the low pitch that was droning but then he had a me- he had a melody it wasn't like just two pitches but he had the low pitch that was going constant right mm-hmm. But then he had a melody that was moving on top of it. The low and pitch to me kind of sounds like a didgeridoo, I would say. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It has this very droning effect to it. Absolutely. But, oh, man, it was just, it was so cool to watch this. And so if, mm-hmm. you, go to, if you go to Ulaanbaatar, check out the Tumanek Theater. 
Uh, but get there early because tickets sell out. And But it is a really cool way to experience some traditional Mongolian art and culture, which was really amazing. Um, I loved Ulaanbaatar, man. I'm hoping to go back. It was such yeah. a cool city. It and seemed like you had a blast. I did. And the cool thing about Mongolia is um, I think it's a little bit more open in terms of Obviously, there's internet freedom over there, uh, but I think people are uh, like, I didn't feel like I was constantly being stared at and watched um, oh. like I do here in China. So that was a nice difference. And I'll tell you what, man, Mongolian men and women, they've got style. And I think it's because they have more Western influence on clothing. So right. I felt like when I was looking at what people were wearing, I thought like I was back in Europe, to be honest with you. Like women dress very nicely. Uh, I went to, there's a really cool mall. Uh, if you go to Ulaanbaatar, it's called the State Department is the name of the mall. <laughs> and it's six stories high. And on the sixth story, on the sixth floor, there's a lot of awesome Mongolian stuff. So you can buy you can buy an Erhu, that uh, Mongolian-style cello. Now, how uh, much trust did you me? consider buying one of those? Oh, dude, it was so hard for me <laughs> not to buy one. So hard. Uh, and the that cool thing about right them... Alley. Right. Uh, and I don't think it would be that hard to learn how to play because it's just a bow and two strings. Um, so I think I could figure it out, but mm. I wanted to buy one so bad. You, you know me. Like, I, oh man, I saw one. I was like, uh, should I get it? And I was like, no, like, come on, Chad, let's be realistic. Transporting it might be a little scary too. Exactly. Exactly. Like they seem um, kind of delicate. Right. Um, <clears throat> but on the sixth floor, not only can you buy cool Mongolian instruments, you can also buy traditional, traditionally made bow and arrow, which I also shot while I was there. That was really cool. Um, how'd you do? You can... Terrible. There was the tension Didn't on the bow was really high. That you used to that you yeah, used to I've, shoot. I've, I've shot bows before, but it was always a, a compound bow. Which uh, once okay. you get it to a certain pulling point, it comes back easy. Right. A recurve, right. which is a traditional bow, it doesn't get it's any easier. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I would guess there was probably fifty pounds of tension on the string. So you have to pull. It's like pulling back fifty pounds. Um, right. And it's probably so, a little harder to aim too, because I assume the compound might have a better uh, aiming system on it right well and with a compound bow there's also like a slot where you stick your arrow with the bow i was using in mongolia you had to basically rest it on the top of your hand right hmm. so my my okay. the, the arrow kept popping popping off um so yeah so anyways but that was cool so check out the sixth floor you can also get traditional mongolian clothing so they have like these really beautiful robes you can get also thought about buying one of those but i didn't uh, they have really cool, different style hats in Mongolia, and um, I'll send you pictures too from the from the concert though, Jared, because they were wearing all traditional Mongolian clothing, and it is beautiful. Um, it's like this kind of really cool East meets West, because the hats to me almost look kind of. I know this is probably not good, and if any listeners from Mongolia are listening right now, they're probably going to be shaking their heads. But some of the hats to me look kind of like more traditional Russian hats with an Asian twist to it. But the robes to me look much more Asian. Um, so yeah, so you can buy all that stuff at the State Department and you can also get Western style clothing. So they had like a couple, they had Levi's was there. They had Tom Taylor, which is, a, I don't know if they're Danish or Swedish, but Tom Taylor has a lot of cool stuff. They had Mango, which is another clothing store. Um, and they have a like really cool grocery store downstairs as well. So if you need groceries, uh, check out the State Department. It's really awesome. Um, and yeah, Mongolia is amazing. And now I think it's time for us to talk about our song of the pod, which is by the group Hunhur 2. And the name of the song is called Ancestors. And I specifically searched for 
a song that had Mongolian throat singing to show to Jared and to all of you today. So let's talk about it, yeah. Jared. Uh, there's definitely Mongolian throat singing. Honestly, for a hot sec, I did think it was a didgeridoo. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Why is there a didgeridoo in this? And I was right. like, oh, right. Now I realize why Chad sent me this. And also, the woman's voice in there is beautiful as well. That's mm-hmm. just, um, uh, I was going to say normal singing, but I'll say singing that we're more here, here in the United States more used to, a style right. of singing we're more right. used to. And uh, it was cool. Like, is it a modern song? It didn't sound, like, old to me. I don't know. To me, it... I think the song is probably a modern spin on a traditional way to sing, would be the way right. I would put it. Cause the, so That's the, the, the vibe I got. Right. Because the string instruments in there, one of them, I can tell you, is an air who, for sure. Um, okay. Because I saw it live, and I know what it sounds like now. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, but if you listen to the song... There's parts in the song where you can hear what I'm talking about in terms of the performance that I saw, where they have the drone note, and then it, um, it sounds like two people singing. Or it even, mm-hmm. it even, like the way the tones come out, it almost doesn't sound like a human voice. Like it right. sounds like it could be like some weird type of flute or something, but that mm-hmm. is all made by one person. It's really amazing to see, it's a sight to see. Um, and yeah, and it's and I remember you telling me when I sent you the song, you said it sounded a little creepy. I think yes. I think the first time you ever hear throat singing, it because it's a low droning sound, it does sound a little spooky. We are in October; it's spooky season. It does sound <laughs> a little spooky, but I think once you get used to it, I think it almost has a. To me now, it's because I've heard it quite a bit because I've listened to the song a bunch of times and I saw the performance. Now, to me, it's almost kind of peaceful. Interesting. I can understand that. But yeah, definitely for me, it sort of has like this eerie, like, yeah, uh, absolutely. like something's about to happen in the background of a scary movie vibe to it. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, but but yeah, I can it's, understand it's really that. Cool. Especially you, once you get used to it, uh, it's sort of like it's it's sort of like the uh, like it's the base of the song. Right. So it, it is it is sort of uh, if you're used to it I can understand how it would it would provide a level of comfort to hear that bass. Right. And the interesting thing too and I should have asked which provinces because I forgot. Uh, well they never told me which provinces, but there's one province in Mongolia where pretty much everybody knows how to throat sing, men and women. There's another province in Mongolia where pretty much everybody knows how to do like traditional Mongolian um contortion so they can like they're really flexible oh, and they can that's spin the city i want to see <laughs> that's what one of my colleagues kept saying he was like go to the throat singing place and learn how to throat sing and then find yourself a wife at the contortion place um yeah oh man it was so funny um, um yeah I, no i just imagine like uh i don't i don't know like like they just be like spider-manning through the city or something like that. right right <laughs> Good to know your mind wasn't in the gutter there, Jared. Um, but yeah, oh man, it was it was such a cool place. Um, Ulaanbaatar has become one of my favorite cities. Now, just because, uh huh. Oh, sorry, no, just because what? Just because of the terrain, like the mountains are beautiful, the traditional Mongolian culture, like the art is really amazing. Um, the the traditional clothing is super cool. Um, the people were really friendly and really nice and Mongolian music is fascinating to me. And even this song too, Ancestors by Hunhur Tu, I hope I'm saying the name right. I'm not sure if I am, uh, is really cool. 
Uh, and it's very different than what at least we in the West hear. And to me, Mongolian music, I feel like some people have like the stereotypical image of what um, Asian music sounds like because they'll go to like a Chinese place and they'll hear it in the background or whatever, or mm. they hear it in movies or whatever. But Mongolian music to me, although it has a lot of aspects of that kind of Asian style of music. I'm not really sure what the correct terminology is for this. I'm not an ethnomusicologist by any means. Um, but uh, it's a little different. It's different than what you would hear in China or Japan or Korea, uh, especially with the throat singing. And that, I think, is right. only in Mongolia. But it's super cool. So check out our Song of the Pod, Ancestors yeah, by Hun Two, on our YouTube channel, Untranslatable Podcast on YouTube. We hope you like it. It is mm-hmm. a little eerie, so don't listen to it if you've just watched a scary movie <laughs> and you're alone in your house or apartment late at night. Um, but give it a listen and listen closely to the throat singing because it's really remarkable. And I want to learn how to do it. I was joking with some of my colleagues and I said, when I go back to Ulaanbaatar, you can take lessons on how to learn how to throat sing. So you better believe, Jared, I'm going to come back and be throat singing on the podcast at some that point. Seems like you're, <laughs> no. uh, that seems like you're, that seems like you're, that'll be our, oh, oh, I, you know, I was just going to say that'll be our new theme song. We were joking about that during our theme song <laughs> right. on this right. very episode. Uh, that seems like a vacation idea that I can imagine you getting behind right. is like some sort of music lesson like that. Oh, that would be. And honestly, I would love to Mongolia just to learn more about the music, like learn how to figure out how to play an air who a little bit mm-hmm. and some of the other instruments. That would be super cool. You could I probably have it. like a music based vacation by itself. I could very easily. That would be fun. That would mm-hmm. be awesome. Need to start saving my pennies now, Jared. Um, <laughs> but saving yeah, your right. thousands. That's right. That's right. Uh, we would joke around saying we were millionaires there, uh, <laughs> even though we weren't really millionaires. I think the most I pulled out was uh, I had four hundred thousand, which was roughly one hundred and fifty U.S. dollars, and that okay. was almost enough to last me the entire week in terms of like food and stuff. But you were a millionaire in the sense, like if you were to like pull up your bank statement and uh, right and convert and, uh, it, sure, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, uh, exactly. Actually, well, now that we're on the topic. You have piqued my curiosity, Jared. Real quick, I'm just going to take a look and see what a million in their currency would be in U.S. dollars. So let's see here. So a million, need a couple more zeros. That's 100,000. All right. A million would be 375 U.S. dollars. So there you go. Yeah, that's, I could do that. So, I think yeah, I could scrape here. that together. <laughs> Anyways, we are here to promote language learning. Yeah. And my Chinese word of the pod today is mung, uh, mung guo which is Mongolia. Oh, interesting. I guess it makes sense. It kind of sounds mm-hmm. like it. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed all of your Instagram pictures, and that is a hint towards my Spanish word of the pod, which is tiro con arco. Tiro con arco. Something with wherever arco is. What is it? Well, think about that. Some of the activities you did while you were in Mongolia, and think about... Maybe some shapes that were involved with some of the activities you were doing. Oh, ar- arcs? Is that arcs or points? I'm just, I, I, I'm just guessing it is arc, but it, it means okay. archery. Oh, cool. Archery. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Tiro con arco. So I, I don't know what tiro or arco is, but... Okay. Archery. Oh, it's probably bow with, with arch or something like that. That would make sense. That would definitely make sense. Uh, yeah, and it was really cool to shoot a bow. Uh, and I saw them in quite a few shops. You could get them as souvenirs, like handmade, real, legit bows. But the problem is, once again, like 
you can't transport that. Like, you know, they're big. They're really big. How are you going to transport that? Uh, and they're kind of expensive. And by the way, Go ahead. so mm-hmm. just to be clear, tiro con arco is to throw with arch. So that's what that means. Oh, there we go. Okay, interesting. Learning new stuff all the time on the podcast. I love it. So now it's time for some jokes. And I don't want to rag on my newly made Mongolian friends because I love the country and I love the capital so much. But mm-hmm. they do love horses and camels in Mongolia. Like you'll see horses, you'll see statues of horses, you'll see horses on their money. You'll see horses in their artwork. Horses are a very big thing in Mongolian life, and so are camels. So I've got some horse and camel jokes for you. So, Jared, what do you feed a racehorse? Mm, power bars. <laughs> Fast food. <laughs> oh, that's good. Why can't horses dance? Uh, I don't know. Why is that? Because they have two left feet. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Wow. Right? For our listeners out there, two left feet is a phrase we use when you can't dance. So there you uh, go. I, I, it's, I, it's an untranslatable we use here in the United yeah, States. Yeah, exactly. So I think What's what you the, meant to say. Right. Right. What's the hardest <laughs> thing about learning to ride a horse? Uh, not getting kicked in the face. The ground. What's the hardest thing about... Oh, so they're say, essentially saying it's easy to learn how to ride a horse? No, they're saying you fall off the horse and you hit oh. the ground. The ground is hard. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. betcha. <laughs> right. Um, all right. What did the horse say after it fell? Oh, nay. Oh, hell nay. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like yours better. But the horse said, I've fallen and I can't giddy up. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? <laughs> I've fallen and I can't giddy up. <laughs> that is pretty good. Right? Uh, uh, okay. So now here's a couple camel jokes for you, Jared. Uh, what do you call a camel without a hump? Um, I don't know. Humphrey. Oh, yeah. That's good. Okay. Uh, because Humphrey is a name and it doesn't have humps. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Uh, oh, what is a camel's favorite uh, nursery rhyme? Oh, this is easy. Humpty Dumpty. There we go. Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> That's right. That is right. And lastly, Jared, what do camels use to hide themselves? Uh, what's that? Camouflage. Uh, oh man! I didn't, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> that. That was too. That one was too easy. Like sometimes when they're so obvious, you don't get them. Um, so yeah. So there are some jokes for everybody out there for horses and camels. Oh, yes. Um, you betcha. So I would say a quote, a quote of the pot. If I were to wrap up Ulaanbaatar in like a quote or a sentence, um, oh, that's so difficult. Because I don't want to use a generic word like amazing, but it was amazing. But um, you don't even have to wrap up. Maybe, maybe if this will help, it doesn't have to be like about Ulan Batar, but maybe about your experience, experiencing a new. That's a terrible way to make a sentence. Your experience <laughs> in a new, uh, like in a brand new city that you've never, you know, you never knew much about, or like just your, you know, traveling to new places and all the things you can learn, or something like that. Yeah, I would say Mongolia is Mongolia and Ulan Batar. Uh, I keep using those two interchangeably, and they're not, because one's the capital, one's the country. But uh, Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia, to me, are... It's just such... 
an interesting place because it's where you see past and current kind of mesh together. Like I was saying, they have the GERS, these tents within the city limits, right next to, um, you know, like apartment buildings that could mm-hmm. be, you know, five floors or more. Then you see these old Buddhist temples uh, that are also right juxtaposed right uh, beside, you know, a high up building. And so for me, Ulaanbaatar is a capital city that has a different vibe than any other capital city I've ever been to. Um, you yeah, have that sounds the, really interesting to yeah. like to to see that sort of uh, like those sort of con- contrasting architect te- textures and styles. I'm actually looking at a picture now, and there's like this old sort of government style building next to like mm-hmm. this super modern blue skyscraper looking thing, right? Um, and uh, it's just it's I don't know it's just cool seeing seeing that sort of style of of uh, of, of of architecture you you don't usually don't get that mix you usually get like a cool sort of uh you know like there are a lot of european cities that have cool sort of uh, historical architecture but they don't a lot of those cities don't really have like a bustling big city vibe that you might right. see in I, I don't know you know like a city like beijing for example exactly so it, is, it is cool to see like those meet each other Right. And what I would say is do I would not let I've never been there. Right. <laughs> do not let Ulaanbaatar or Mongolia fly under your travel radar anymore because yeah. they are so worth seeing. Just be wary when you go because it can get very cold there. Extremely extremely cold. What was so the coldest sure, it got for you? Uh it was in the 30s. So it was okay. freezing. So not terrible though. Right. Right. Um and if you're looking for Kashmir Mongolia is the place to go because that's where a lot of it is manufactured. There's tons mm-hmm. of cashmere stores. If you uh, are curious what horse meat tastes like, check <laughs> it out. You can definitely do that in Mongolia. I think it's pretty good. It's worth a try. Definitely try Kushur if you go there. I believe it's spelled K-H-U-S-H-U-U-R. I could be wrong. But if you just Google or Bing Kushur, you should be able to find it. Or just traditional Mongolian food and that will come up. That's worth a try. K-H-U-U-S-H-U-U-R. There we go. Thank you, Jared. So yeah, so check it out. But if you do go to Ulaanbaatar, make sure you do plan for the traffic, especially coming in and out of the city, going to the airport. I will say, though, getting through the airport is very easy because it's a very small international airport. Um, So if you get there an hour and a half before flying time, that should be plenty of time for you to get through security and uh, get on your plane. But check out Ulaanbaatar. Check out Mongolia. They're amazing. You it's betcha. an amazing city and an amazing country with so much rich history, awesome cuisine, and really wonderful people. Great. So if you have any questions about Mongolia, let me know. Uh, let us know. Untranslatablepodcast at gmail.com. Jared will have to let me know about those because now that I'm back <laughs> in China, I can't access it. Also, check out our Instagram for some poppin' pics of Mongolia, Untranslatable Podcast. And if you want to hear some awesome Mongolian throat singing, check out our YouTube channel, Untranslatable Podcast, and find the Song of the Pod playlist. Brilliant. It will be up there, and we hope you enjoy. So, we hope this episode has given you a little insight on Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia, which which is such an amazing and cool place. Definitely worth a visit. Check it out. And uh, we just we hope you enjoy, and this has inspired you to check out Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia. So as we, as usual, we thank you all for your support, and let us know 
what we can do to make this podcast better for you by giving us some feedback on iTunes or Stitcher. Five-star reviews are the only reviews that we like to accept, so please give us those. We would love it. And if you have any other questions, let us know on Instagram, uh, on Gmail, whatever your preferred method of communication is. So thank you, and as we say here at the Untranslatable Podcast, Dekuyame, muchas gracias, and shush.